Good morning to you. And um, if you don't know me, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Stephen, also privileged to serve alongside Craig, our staff, our elders, and our volunteers as one of the pastors here. Uh, but here we are, a week after Christmas, and I'm sure the last week has been a blur for you. Uh, I'm sure that most of us sitting here ate a lot, did a lot, spent a lot, and I'm hoping you're starting to sleep a lot as well and recover a lot. And today's very interesting. Today's New Year's Eve, and I think it's the first time, at least in Riverside's history, that we're having church on Christmas Eve, which puts us in a very unique place. Christmas Eve, the last day of the year, that means there's only a few hours left of 2017, and celebrations are going around. New Year's Eve, what did I say? Christmas Eve, oh my hat. <laughs> Do you even want to hear the rest? Who knows what's going to come out? I don't. Okay, New Year's Eve, and here we are. A few hours left of 2017, which puts us, as we gather together as, as the church, which puts us in a unique place to actually reflect on pretty much the entire year. And as we cast our minds back over 2017, I wonder what rises to the surface. I wonder what comes to mind first. I'm sure we had our ups. I'm sure we had our downs. I'm sure we had our celebrations. But I wonder what stands out the most about 2017 for you. Maybe what stands out most was the fact that 2017 was a difficult year. I know for many people and for many businesses, 2017 was tough financially. I know just at the end of every month, there was way more months than money. And maybe there was way more 2017 than there was money as well. Um, maybe just business was tough, or maybe investments went south, uh, and we won't talk about those anymore, and hopefully 2018 will be better. But maybe it was a tough year financially. Maybe it was an emotional year for you. Maybe it was an emotional year because you experienced some loss. Maybe some profound, deep loss. And maybe that's the first thing that comes to mind as I ask you to cast your mind over 2017. Maybe the first thing that comes to mind, and, and it's an emotional thing for you, is some failure. You started something and it failed. You tried something and it failed. You tried something again or to transform something in your life again and it failed. And maybe that's the first thing that you feel. Maybe it's a failure in your life that comes to mind. Maybe it's failure in somebody else's life. Maybe it's somebody else's failure that affected you deeply, and that's the first thing that comes to mind. Maybe it was a good year. Maybe it was a great year. Maybe this was the year that you got married. Maybe this was the year that she said yes. And I know for some of you, that's exactly how it happened. Maybe for some of you, you had your first child or your second or your third child. Maybe you started a business and it was fantastic. It's just taken off and it just seems to have God's blessing on it. Maybe you're just at the end of 2017 and I ask you to cast your mind back. And man, it's just a blur because you are so tired. You just can't even think. You don't have the energy to barely concentrate. And you're just so tired. You just want the year to end. And for most of us, it's probably a mixture of that all. A mixture of celebration. A mixture of great beginnings. And a mixture of failure and difficulty. 
And as we think about that, I don't know if you've heard about that phrase, attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. I've heard a number of people quote this, and I doubt there's a way to prove this, uh, but it makes some sense in my life, is that life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. I don't like that saying, by the way. Because I like to respond to situations, all right? I like to react. I like to get grumpy. In fact, just a few days ago, I had about two, three days in a row leading up to Christmas where I was just saying to Bianca, in fact, I was complaining to Bianca. It's just like every little thing, no big tragedies. It just seemed like every little thing, if it could go wrong, it went wrong. All right, uh, if, if something was going to take five seconds, it took five hours. If I was going to download some software that was going to take a few minutes, it would take hours to do. If I go to the shops, I'd come home and have forgotten to get something. If I had to get somewhere, there would be an accident on that route. And, and my attitude stunk, and I think my wife would agree with me on that one. But I don't know if, if you're feeling that it, it's pretty easy to be negative these days. It's pretty easy for us that our default response, our default mechanism, our default emotional experience of life these days tends to be negative more than positive. In fact, I think some people actually have a spiritual gift of negativity and critical nature. All right, They just have perfected the art of seeing the bad in things. But, but maybe there's more of that in all of us. Right, it just seems so easy. And, and whether I'm thinking about uh, uh, you know, your life, your personal life, your, your romantic life, your, your business life, your goals, your ambitions, the country, uh, whatever, it just seems like it's just so easy to respond with negativity at first. And the scriptures really want to nurture something different in us. They want to nurture something in us that's going to be a blessing to you a blessing to the people around you, and a blessing to God. So, so I want to read just a whole lot of scriptures. I'm not going to spend too much time on each of these. Then, then just look at a story that happened with Jesus in the Gospels and just see what the scriptures are trying to nurture in us in the midst of real life, in the midst of real difficulty, in the midst of your life. And your difficulty, what is God wanting to bring out of that? So here's some scriptures and just see if you can spot the common attitude that God wants for us. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Everything. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 to 18, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all. All circumstances, a whole lot of circumstances have just come to your mind. Be joyful always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. James 1 verses 2 to 4. But Stephen, you've got no idea how difficult my life has been this year. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. I know you hate this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work in you, so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Philippians 4 verses 4 to 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And finally, Colossians 3, verses 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's not too difficult to see that a posture of attitude that God wants us to have in all circumstances, as alien or as strange or as difficult as it might sound to you right now, I hope to convince you that it is within our reach because of who Jesus is that we can experience gratitude and thankfulness in all circumstances. Does it maybe sound like something too far for you? Something unreachable? But isn't that something that you want? Imagine experiencing gratitude and thankfulness in all circumstances, because this is what God wants for you. Now, I very specifically said this is what God wants for you, not something that God wants from you. You see, it's not like God's up in heaven saying, hey, Stephen, consider it pure joy, my brother, when you encounter difficulties, come on, bud, what's wrong with you? Come on, give me some gratitude, give me some thankfulness. No, he's saying, no, no, I want this for you. Just cast your mind back. Maybe it's back to this morning or maybe it's back a few days or weeks. Just cast your mind back to the last time you were truly critical and upset about someone or something. Just just call those emotions to mind. Just experience that again. Just what what did it feel like to feel critical? To feel like you're focusing on the negative sides of someone or something. Now, press pause. Don't stay there. Please don't stay there. (laughs) Now, cast your mind back to a time or place you truly felt grateful for something. You truly felt grateful for someone. Maybe you heard some great news. Maybe God just gave you a great perspective on things. Again, maybe she said yes, or maybe you just received a a wonderful uh, Christmas present, or you had a wonderful Christmas together with your family. You're just overwhelmed with gratitude. Now recall those feelings. And doesn't it say something wonderful about God, that that's what he wants for you? To walk in that, to live from that space in all things. And hopefully today we will learn how to take some steps towards living in gratitude. Living in gratitude. So there's a story in Luke's gospel that's going to become a bit of a mirror to us and and hopefully encourage us to greater levels of gratitude. So if you have your Bibles with me, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 onwards, uh, the words will be on the screen behind me, but also always great to uh, bring out our digital devices, our e-version, or our actual kind of physical Bibles, uh, underlining things, writing things in there, something to take home, maybe read a bit ahead, read a bit behind. Just wonderful to actually come face-to-face with our own Bibles, but Luke 17, verses 11 onwards. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, I don't know where your mind or your imagination goes when we read stories such as this. I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school. I saw the story like played out. Do you remember those little like uh, soft felt things you stick little like faces on and, as, a, as a child in Sunday school? And my imagination for some reason goes straight to those figures 
All right, and we often just like move straight past some of these details. I think we just need to press pause and realize here we're 10 men with a real need, real desperation, and a real cry for help. See, leprosy was no fun in games. Leprosy, by and large, is almost eradicated in our world. But at this stage, it was quite common. There's no disease for leprosy. You see, what leprosy is, is pretty much a disease of your nerve network. It pretty much gets you to the point where you cannot feel any pain. Now, some of you are like, Stephen, that sounds like a gift. I would love to feel no pain. All right, but let's just think about it. Uh, what's quite common, especially in the older leper colonies, is um, you know, they would be infested with rats and, and people would be sleeping. And a rat would come and chew on you while you're sleeping. Because you didn't feel it, the rat would chew on you and it would just Chew off a toe or chew off a foot. Philip Yancey, who wrote a book, uh, well, he wrote a number of great books. One of his good friends was a guy called Dr. Paul Brand. And Dr. Paul Brand made some great strides forward in leprosy. And he used to work with leper colonies. In fact, he actually died, succumbed to the disease. But Philip Yancey went out to go visit Dr. Paul Brand and went out to a, leper, a modern day leper colony. And he said uh, he got to a door that was locked and he wanted to get through the door and he just couldn't turn the key. So a 10-year-old boy came up to him and said, so I can turn that key. And he turned the key. (laughs) So Philip Yancey, a grown man, was flummoxed. I mean, how is it that I couldn't turn the key? And he did until he realized that this this kid snapped his finger in half in doing that and didn't know it. It's not entirely uncommon for something to fall in the fire and for someone with leprosy just to stick their hand in and pull it out without knowing what is happening to them. So the consequences of leprosy was that people's bodies were infested with all of these infections and and sores and people literally become disfigured. And because of this and because of how easy it was to catch leprosy, uh, what lepers had to do was tear their clothes and leave their hair sort of unkempt. And uh, just as people came near them, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. Uh, I think some of us need to learn how to shout that after we've been to gym. But nonetheless, uh, unclean, just People, there was a stigma. I mean, people would look at lepers and go, Ugh! Now, I know, I know maybe you and I, and maybe some people here really struggle with rejection, but I don't know if anyone's ever looked at you and gone, Ugh! and ran in the opposite direction. So they're struggling with this kind of societal rejection. And they're struggling with just what's happening to their bodies and their difficulties, just real desperation. Verse 14, when he saw them, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, let's just remember, how many lepers were there at the beginning? Ten. How many came back with gratitude? One. Doesn't this strike you as weird or odd? I mean, even Jesus says, he says, we're not all 10 cleansed. We are the other nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, maybe you think, oh man, these guys, they really missed the plot. If I was one of them, I would be one of the guys who turned around and gave praise to God. Now, maybe if what God did in your life was as drastic as save you from a life-threatening disease, 
maybe you would. But remember, the guy who turned back in praise was a Samaritan, which means he was not a Jew, which means he was not a worshiper of God, uh, Yahweh, the way we understand it. He was an outsider, and yet all the insiders recognized the mighty hand of God. The insiders, that's you and me, recognized the mighty hand of God and did not turn back in praise. Did not have a grateful heart and a grateful response. It took an outsider to see what God had done to come and to worship him. And while maybe if God had to heal you from a life-threatening disease, you would be the first to get down on your knees and thank him. To maybe stand up here and tell everyone what God has done in your life. But maybe we're more like the nine than we think. I wonder how many times God has done something in your life. God has blessed you with something. God has created abilities and resources for you. God has given you opportunities. God has just brought a breakthrough into your life. And we haven't turned back in praise. I wonder if we've had God's perspective on these things. How many times we're like the nine and not the one. So to help us take steps forward in gratitude this morning, I'm going to look at three statements, and I'm stealing these statements from a guy called Craig Rochelle. He just says it just way better than anyone else could. Uh, so three statements. If you've got a pen or a diary or a phone out, I really encourage you to write these down. Um, and, and if you hadn't already, some of the verses that were on the screen behind me, uh, we will refer back to them just now. But really worthwhile writing these down. But statement number one that's going to help us choose gratitude is this. Every good thing I have comes from God. Now, let's just practice gratitude. Let's just practice saying that together. One, two, three. Every good thing I have comes from God. A couple of years ago, we as a church, in fact, a year ago, we... Many of us memorized the book of James. James 1 verse 17, you may remember this verse. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now maybe because of the difficulties in your year, the difficulties in in your life, you're struggling to see the good and perfect gifts. But I don't know if you've ever met someone You've met someone who actually lives this out. I don't know if you've ever, you see, it's easy to have everything going well. It's easy to have your health. It's easy to have, you know, kind of financially everything's going well. Relationally, everything's going well. And, oh, yes, praise Jesus. You know, that's easy. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's really had a tough time, but you've been amazed to see the gratitude in their lives. You've been amazed at their ability to see blessings in their, in their lives. Uh, two examples come to me immediately. The one example was a couple of years ago, just out on the streets in Johannesburg, part of a feeding scheme, and just bringing some food to guys sleeping on the streets. Uh, and the goal, goal is to give them a meal and, and to sit with them, show them some dignity, just speak you know, life to them and with them and, and offer to pray for them and, if appropriate, share the gospel with them. Sitting with one guy, and I mean, the guy's homeless, sitting on the street. It was a cold night. And just got talking, found out his name and his circumstances, how he got to this position. Uh, and sitting down, and eventually I said, look, would you mind if I prayed for you? And he said, oh, yes, please. And I, I realized there was something behind it. I said, why? You know, what's going on? Why are you so excited for me to pray for you? He said, you know what? God is so good. No, I mean, I'm there in clean clothes. 
I had a full meal. In fact, I had three that day. I drove there in a car. I was going to go home to a warm house. And here he is on the street, relying on people like us and others to feed him. And for him to look at his circumstances and say, God is so good. So I said, well, what do you mean? How do you say God is so good? And he said, just look around you. Look at these beautiful people. Look at God sending people to help us out. God is so good. I mean, I was so convicted by that. As some of you may have experienced this when uh, you remember Richard Stevens who suffered from MND and eventually succumbed to the disease earlier this year. Maybe you remember seeing him on a Sunday. And I mean, the posture of Richard Stevens at the back of that church was a big smile on his face. Right? High fives. Go to his house. Richard, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing amazing, my man. And he would just talk about God's blessings in his life. And I often walked away from that thinking, would I? Be as grateful for God's blessings if I was in as difficult a circumstance as him. I don't know, maybe you can think of some other people who have experienced some real difficulty and yet have managed to show such a perspective of gratitude. One of the things we do as a family now, as a tradition every Christmas is, as we put up the tree, uh, you know, there's all the decorations and the balls that go on the tree. And the tradition is, uh, every time we put something on the tree, we must say something, uh, something we're thankful for. And, uh, you know, every year there's more things to put on the tree, so you're going to find more things to be thankful for. And um, it's actually amazing just hearing our kids just what they're grateful for. And, and of course, it's all the, I'm grateful for mommy and daddy. And, and then they get grateful for like real, I'm grateful for Jesus. And it's just wonderful as a parent. But I'm amazed at my own heart. I'm amazed at sometimes how hard I need to think to show what I'm thankful for. But then on the flip side of that coin, I'm amazed that if I stop and I think about it, how many things I have to be grateful for. And the scriptures say that every good gift comes from above. So that's statement number one that's going to help us move towards gratitude, which I, gratitude is one of those wonderful things. If you've ever been around a grateful person, don't you come away feeling better? If you're feeling grateful, don't you feel better? In other words, everyone wins when we grow in gratitude. So as we take steps towards gratitude, uh, statement number two. Statement number two is this. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Now again, this practice, say this with me. One, two, three. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Now I don't know what it is you really want when it comes to things and stuff. Maybe what it is you really want, if someone gave you a blank check, was you would want a new house. Maybe some of you are dreaming of a new car and counting sort of, you know, 2017s, 2018s financials. Can I get a new car? Maybe some of you want a new kitchen or a new wardrobe. Maybe some of you are dreaming of a spouse upgrade. I don't know. But uh, I don't know what you're thinking when it comes to wanting new things. Uh, I'm not advocating that, by the way, but anyway... Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 6 verses 9. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Better what you have than what you want. Better what's in front of you, that's what's not yet in front of you. Now there's nothing wrong as a follower of Jesus Christ to buy new things. There's nothing wrong with a new car, a new house or a new wardrobe. 
There's nothing wrong with these things. But where we go wrong is when we start to believe that I will be happy if I get a new. If I get a bigger, if I get a stronger, if I give a newer, if I get the new iPhone, then I will be happy. Here's the problem with that. There's always someone else with a bigger, better, stronger, newer. There's always a new phone. There's always a bigger phone. There's always a faster computer. There's always a faster car. There's always a bigger house. There's always new clothes. Oh, I got this from Paris. Well, I got this from Finland. You know, there's, there's someone who's always got something bigger, better, stronger, which means if you ultimately believe that you can only be happy when you get the new, bigger, better, stronger, you are committing yourselves to a life of unhappiness. Yet the scriptures, God wants such good things in our lives. And God wants us to experience joy and happiness. And one of the ways is by nurturing gratitude in our hearts. One of the words that we can equate with gratitude is this, contentment. You see, Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned to be content in plenty and in want. Now, some of you are saying, Stephen, I'd love to learn the secret of contentment in plenty. All right, I'm willing to go through that lesson and suffer for Jesus, okay? So Paul says, when everything's going well, when everything's going right, I am content in who God is. But I've also learned the more difficult secret to learn, and that is to be content when things are not going well. That is to be content when life is hard, when life is difficult. He wrote this from prison. That's the secret that Paul was learning, contentment. But when we have this roving appetite, when we believe that we can only be happy when we get the new thing, we're always unhappy. Now, if we think about it, and if we even start to itemize some of the blessings, these good things that God has given us, the, the, the things that are in our lives already, I believe that we can make great strides towards contentment. The fact that we're sitting here means that most of us here are in great health. Most of you drove here in a car and are going to drive home to put your car in a house made just for your car. All right, it's called a garage. Most of you are going to get out of the house for your car into your own house on paving that doesn't make your feet dirty. All right, most of us are going to go home and eat some wonderful meals today. Most of us are going to be surrounded by people we know and love over the next few days. I mean, things are crazy these days. You can pick out a phone. Most of us have phones that do way more than just speak to people. We've got phones, you press a few buttons, and magically a pizza will arrive at your door in a few minutes' time. We have so much to be grateful for. And we need to learn to be content with the things that God has given us. Paul again, he writes this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. This is a good thing. This is, in fact, a great thing. Godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. A great, again, if you're writing things down, I really strongly encourage you to write this next statement down. 
You see, and again, highlights maybe where our beliefs are, but the statement is this, and it comes from Craig Rochelle. It's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. See, somehow we believe we need to get the new thing first, the upgrade first, the new clothes first, the new house first. Then I will be grateful and happy. And God is trying to teach us to be grateful in all things, to be content in all things. And therefore, in this life and in your circumstances, to be happy. So that's statement number two. The statement number one, every good thing I have comes from God. Statement number two, I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. And statement number three, I'll turn every blessing into praise. Say this one with me. One, two, three. I'll turn every blessing into praise. That means when we recognize all that God has given us, as we recognize that God is trying to nurture contentment and gratitude in our hearts, as we recognize this is something that God wants for us, not from us, we're going to recognize Him as the good God, the good Father. And for that reason, we're going to turn this back into praise. Because here's the thing, if we don't turn it back into praise of Him, we will praise somebody else. I can promise you that. And here's how we do it. Maybe you're like, Stephen, I don't like praise, you know, my husband or my wife or myself. No, we kind of do. Listen to how we say it. I deserve this. You deserve that. You know, I went to church almost the whole year this year. I deserve more. Or I gave to the church or I gave to the poor. I deserve this. That's how we, I, okay, here's another one. It's a little bit more PC. I earned this. I earned this happiness. I earned the fact that good things need to be happening to me in my life. For that reason, when good things come, we take the glory for it. We take the praise for it. But see the logic here. All good things come from God. Including your ability to think, the family you come from, your ability to work, the opportunities that God has given you, your strengths, your talents. The way you're wired. And that's just the beginning of it. And so we're going to turn these things back to praise. This is the way David says it in the Psalms. He says in Psalm 63, 4 verses 5, I'll praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest foods with singing lips. My mouth will praise you. So let's get practical with this, just to help us grow. Because isn't this a hot thing? Isn't this a hot thing? To help us grow in gratitude, I want to try one more mental exercise with you. Just bring to the front of your mind, every single one of us do this, young and old, we can do this. Bring to the front of your mind just something that you have. So something of value. So don't just think about the banana yet for breakfast. Just think of something significant. It might be a person, might be a husband or wife, might be a kid, might be a friend, might be your car, might be your house. Doesn't have to be the biggest or the best, just something in your mind. All right, there it is in the front of your mind. Now I want you to imagine in this exercise that you've just received news, bad news. So let's say you're picturing your car. You've just received news that the person who borrowed your car wrote it off and they don't have insurance. Or maybe it's your house. You just receive a phone call from your neighbor. Stephen, I'm so sorry to say that your house is burning down now as we speak. Or maybe the news is going to be even more tragic. Maybe the person in the front of your mind is a, is a person, a husband or a wife, a friend, someone else in your family. And you just received a phone call from a doctor saying, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but tragically, this person has passed away. 
Maybe the thing that you've got in your mind, this thing of value is your health. And you receive some phone call and the doctor says to you, I've just got bad news for you. I don't know how to tell you this, but you've got three months to live. I'll just sit with that news for a while. Experience some of the emotions that might be coming up in you right now. Now imagine five minutes later you get a phone call. Stephen, I'm so sorry to say, it's not your house. Your house is okay. Or Stephen, just, you know, it's not your car. It's somebody else's car, so, you know, sorry for them. But your car is fine. Or the phone call about your health. Man, I don't know how we phoned you, but, but no, you're fine. You're 100%. Or the person that you thought was lost in a car crash. Sorry, there's been a mistake. They're fine. Now, maybe you don't think that you've got the best house in the world. Maybe your car doesn't you know, win any records for its speed and its abilities. Maybe you think your spouse or your kids won't win any records or any abilities there. Maybe you think your health could conduce with some improvement. But just imagine what it's like. The thing you already have gets taken from you and restored back to you. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful for the people in your lives? Aren't you grateful for the good things that God has given you? And maybe this is something that we need to do regularly in our own lives. So what's it going to take for you to move into 2018 and to look back over 2017 and to grow in gratitude? Maybe for some of us it just means a number of different things. Maybe for some of you, it means looking at some of those verses. And Kelly, maybe we can go to just some of those verses and just go through slowly. Maybe you want to write some of these verses down. Maybe you want to memorize them. Make it at a point of discipline that this year you are going to be memorizing these verses to help you grow in gratitude and change your perspective on life. Maybe it means waking up every single morning and taking some of these statements. This is not about positivism this is about stating truth that transform our hearts maybe it's taking these three statements and saying them daily maybe it means like Bianca and I do once a year maybe it means doing it on a daily basis writing down things that you are grateful for you're truly grateful for and turning them to praise maybe it means this confession God you know what and, and, and this is often the space I'm in. God, I, I just I focus on the wrong things. And I don't see your hand of blessing in my life. And I confess that to you. Maybe it's confession to God. Maybe it's just saying, God, I'm one of those guys with the spiritual gifts of negativity and criticism. And God, I need you to do a great work in me. I need you to open up my eyes to who you are and the blessings that you've given me. Those are just a handful of practical ways that we can engage gratitude this year. But above all things, guys, we've just celebrated the ultimate gift. God gave us himself. We never want to elevate the gifts above the giver. We never want to elevate the things that God gives us, the things that God does in us, above who he is. And above all things, here's what Jesus promises to you. Jesus is the ultimate realist. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You want to experience ultimate change? You want to experience a change of heart? 
You want to experience a change of mind, a change of perspective. You want to experience peace that can never be taken away from you. Joy that can never be taken away from you is found in him and him alone. Because he is the only true constant in this world. So maybe it means moving beyond hoping that things will make you happy. And being grateful simply for things. And maybe it means moving into space of being grateful for Jesus. And saying, Lord, I want to be in that space where I taste and see on a daily basis. The Lord is good. I'm so grateful for you, Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I so recognize just the reality of our lives and the difficulty of this broken world we live in. This mixture of wonder and pain. This mixture of blessings and curses. This mixture of celebration and sorrow and loss. And then just, God, I'm so aware of how we respond to these things. How we often just react. And yes, Lord, I I don't think for one second you're asking us to somehow avoid uh, any experience of loss and pain and grief. But Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can honestly say back to you that we were hoping, if only this came right, if only this happened, if only this thing came my way, then I would be happy and grateful. And God, you're calling us to something greater. You're calling us to greater gratitude. You're calling us to supernatural gratitude, in fact. God, that you might give us the eyes to see the blessings that you've given us. Give us the grace to recognize it comes from you. To recognize what we already have before we think that we are somehow being robbed by what we don't have. And God, that we have this posture of praising you for the things that we have. And finally, God, again, this song that we sang this morning, Jesus, be revealed. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, that we might see the reality of the gift of Jesus in our lives. And that there is ultimate joy and happiness. And we're grateful for you, Jesus. And Father, I just pray that right now you are shifting the furniture around in our hearts. You are bringing newness in. You are changing our minds. You're changing our hearts. You're increasing the degree to which we are seeing and experiencing you. And God, may we bring that into this year. New eyes, new perspective. A new experience of blessing. And God, therefore, may the people around us be transformed by these new attitudes that we have. May we have a transformed experience of 2018 because of the same. In Jesus' name, amen.